0: Welcome back to Kansas State Real Talk brought to you by KCRAR. I'm Alex Gearing.
1: And I'm Bobby Howe. Bobby. Alex.
0: you doing well.
1: I am doing so good. You I'm
0: great. What? Warmer weather.
1: You know what else I'm is sure. great? What? Longer sunshine hours.
0: Yeah, I <gasps> All about it.
1: I'm all about it. Just keep bringing it on. More sunlight, more sunlight. I mean, I don't but know that I want to get to a point way. of 24 hours of sunlight, but like 18 and I'm cool.
0: Yeah, I agree. They should leave it this way. This is uh-huh. just how it should be. I don't understand God's time is what my family calls it. <laughs> Let's just keep, keep it right here. Yep. I want, I want it to be bright at eight 30 mm-hmm. at night still.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I want to be able to keep on doing stuff. And yeah. just I mean, how I want it to be.
1: We're not quite there yet, but we're getting closer and it's getting better. So like I'm, my attitude is well improved now than it was like a month ago. And it's going to continue to get better, better, better. So, um, all right, Alex,
0: before we got started, you said that you had something to talk about that I didn't know about. So now I want to know what it is.
1: And it ties back to this episode. So first, I'm going to talk about what this episode is, and then I'm going to talk about what's going on. Is that fair enough? Yes. All right. So this episode is coming out in April, and April is what? Alex, pop quiz time. What is April in real estate?
0: Fair housing month.
1: Bingo! It's fair housing month, and that means that every April that we always bring on the chair and the vice chair of Kansas City or KCRR's DEI. Uh, committee. So we're going to bring them on. But April is also a great reminder that we should brush up on our fair housing, our diversity, our equity and inclusion knowledge. You know, maybe if you didn't take Fairhaven last year, maybe this is your opportunity to take Fairhaven. Or if you didn't watch the implicit uh, bias video, or if you've not watched the expose on Long Island, that 44 Ooh. minute thing, watch. you, you watch. need to watch that right now. Mm. But the thing that I'm going to talk about is this coming up Friday, which I guess technically has already happened by the time this podcast comes out, um, NAR and the Fair Housing Justice Center is sending a film crew from Kansas City to record me as a part of a documentary on fair housing.
0: Is it because you discriminated against somebody? (laughs) I'm just saying, no. like, this could go a lot of different no. ways, Bobby. Is it, this a positive uh-huh. interview? What part of the document? I like
1: that <laughs> your first thought was, I did something wrong, and now NAR is going to call me out in front of everyone. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate I that, and that's know. not, it's actually the opposite. I am considered to be, a, somehow, I don't even know how, I got on NAR's radar as a fair housing champion, and so they're coming to, they're actually, you're going to be really excited about this. So, The first part, they're going to come talk to me about some things that I've done and some people that I've helped and yada, yada, yada. That's day one. We're going to record in the classroom at KCRAR. They actually sent a scout out and I gave them three locations and our classroom location at KCRAR, they decided would be the best location for our recording. Wow! I guess they freaked everybody out when like a film crew showed up at KCRAR to land and Kip forgot to tell everybody that a film crew might be coming through. (laughs) So it was like, way to go, Kip. Way to go, Kip. Anyways. Um, but the second part on day two, um, me, Ernest Hawkins for who was last year's DEI chair and, um, a representative out of Kansas city. And I can't think of her name right now, Mary Lynn, we're going to go and with the film crew, we're going to go do the dividing lines tour.
0: Nice.
1: Yes. Because oh. I even, I even sent our podcast to the producer in New York city and said, Hey, what would you think if we like did some of this? live with the film crew. And he's like, I love it. So we're going to film the dividing line store.
0: That is park. super cool. I still say that it's the best education in uh, Kansas city real estate history that there is. Yes, I just, that it, It's amazing. I still try to take people through it when they're new agents. Yeah.
1: So, uh, and here's the thing. I've only been able to just listen to it. I haven't actually been able to do oh, the wow. actual, uh, Ernest and I tried to schedule a time. We were going to do a ride along and and we've just not over the last year been able to make it happen so it'll actually be my first time doing it while we're recording while we're listening and doing the film yeah. crew and all I'm so I, I'm super Ernst excited and
0: I did it together like a year and a half ago or so and yeah
1: I went and found the podcast I don't remember but we did it
0: oh it's it's great no it's yeah. uh solid scary sad but yeah but really really solid education so yeah
1: so I'm going to be doing that and i'm like i'm i'm I, and, I, and i'm like this is like probably not the place to discuss it but i i'm i'm nervous and i'm excited i'm like uh but it's very humbling to have been chosen like of like there's got to be a lot of other like you start thinking about like well why is my story so impactful someone apparently thinks that it is and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna share my story here because then otherwise i no one has a reason to watch the documentary but yeah but it's also scary it's also scary going I feel like I'm carrying a huge weight on my shoulders by being allowed to be a part of this. And I don't want to let anyone down, you know, like there's like, like that I know, but it's still, it's just like, until we're there and we're recording it. And I know what I'm, I don't even know, you know, like we interview our podcast guests, they don't spoiler alert. They don't get the questions ahead of time. They have no idea what we're asking them. And so much like doing this documentary, I haven't, I've, We've done some interviews over the phone, but I have no idea what I'm actually being asked. So
0: (laughs) pray for me, Alex, on
1: Friday and Saturday, I need you to pray for me. So
0: I will pray for you. That is, that's going to be awesome. I'm really excited about that. I I do. I think that divided lines tour, it's not a, it's not a good, uh, it's not a good look for us, but it's such important history. And I think it's there are so many cities around the country that, I mean, that's their story. Right. Um, it just so happens that Kansas City, unfortunately, is still a uh, very clear demonstration of those policies and, and the results of of them. And so it's uh, anyway.
1: Yeah. And, and and here's the thing that I think for me is that it is still affects to a certain extent how Kansas City doesn't operate to this day, but. It has, it's still affecting where people live. It's still affecting the equity that people have. It's still affecting the the wealth that a lot of families have. So it's not like, oh, this just happened in the past. That really sucks, but we're fine now. No, we're not fine now. We still have a lot of work to do. I mean, that's what I was telling the producer, like drive down the street, one side's this, one side's that. It's still how it is to this day.
0: Well, and some of, some of what you see when you're, when you're going on that tour uh, only happened 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not, and and it did, it devastated people's, uh, people's wealth. So it's, uh, that's awesome. I I think it's really great that there's going to be a national spotlight put on that.
1: Yeah. And so that's, that's what I think I'm most excited about is being able to showcase Kansas City and, and taking ownership to a certain extent of our role in what has happened and understanding that it's not just enough to take ownership, that it's, we have to do more. We have to take actions and we have to fix this. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's Mm great. Bobby. Cool. Cool. Well, what else is going on?
1: uh, I've talked a lot about me. What's going on with you. You got a new little baby. We have not had a baby update in a while.
0: She sleeps through the night, uh, and has been for like a month, uh, which is great. Um, she had COVID, but you knew that we talked about that last time. I How think. old
1: is she now? Like I've lost track.
0: Uh, she's two and a half months. Okay. Yeah. So she's doing great and Sarah's doing great. And Charlie is like loving this big sister thing. Now it took a little while to adjust, but right. It's super fun. And is it a uh,
1: big sister or is it just a big live baby doll to Charlie? Is that sorry? to charlie is she a little sister or is she just a big live baby doll
0: no she's a little sister she's okay. she's, she's hyper analytical like her father so it's a it's a it's a human being okay she's, she's intelligent so <laughs>
1: i wasn't trying to say your child was dumb no, i just know, I know a lot of I'm kids I, charlie's I, age love like little kids and like throw them around or not throw them around but like treat them like it's my own it's my own baby doll it's not
0: it's, it's so fun because, uh, I feel like Margo smiles at Charlie more than anybody else. And so, I mean, it's very clear to Charlie that, that Margo is a, uh, a human that can be influenced and, that uh, it, it's, it's going to be,
1: uh, she's already uh, lining her up to gang up against you and Sarah.
0: Yes. yes, yeah, planting
1: those seeds now. That is
0: the, the case. And I love that. That's good. That's, that's a good thing. That's a good education in and of itself. So, uh, <laughs> anyway. Are you ready
1: for the teenage years or are you like doing prep work for yourself now so that when the teenage years appear, you're like, I did all I could, man. I was ready and it still was too much.
0: No, I, I feel like, I think I'm not exactly sure how to answer that question, but I I feel like we're, we're still laying the groundwork for the teenage years for sure. I feel like you don't, and even when the teenage years hit, I feel like, there's no amount of groundwork that can really prepare you for any of that. So I remember what I was like as a teenager. And, and you were I, a boy. Yeah, and I'm a freak. And so I have, I remember what I was like at at three um, yeah. and two maybe, okay. but it's, I, it's uh, I was awful the whole time. So there isn't anything that anybody can, can do. So you're just saying
1: when you get there, it's owed to you because you were just a horrible human being. And so like you're owed, whatever they, however they turn out, that's what you're owed.
0: I do everything that I can. And, and Charlie is, is, I mean, she is a, in the parenting blogosphere, which Sarah is strangely involved in. That is not my kind of thing, the mm -hmm. blogosphere, but Sarah recently told me that she's involved in the parenting blogosphere. And Mm -hmm. Am I saying that right? Blogosphere? Yeah. Is that a three-syllable word? Anyway, yeah,
1: is, yeah. she, I don't know.
0: So apparently they refer to children like Charlie as spicy children. Yes. Yes, and and she is a, a if, if you break okay. out the blogosphere definitions, Charlie is a spicy child. There's yeah. no doubt yeah, She's very sweet, but she's mm-hmm. spicy.
1: spicy. She
0: can't take naps. She refuses to go to sleep before 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, it's in insane, uh, yeah. like 100% balls to the wall energy. Got it. A hundred percent of the time. And it's got it. So,
1: so, nuts. so Charlie is your spicy one, which we which means Margot should be your nice calm one. Cause typically either the first or the snow, she's, she's also going to be you spicy. Can
0: tell, she's going to be a little bit spicy, Fabulous. at least a little bit spicy.
1: Cause I mean, she usually the second one is crazier than the first. So
0: Right. With Margot, I don't, I can't tell if it's spicy or if it's like, um, like almost fermented milk, um, that's just like kind of dried up on her. And so when I say that, that's a joke. Yeah. Anyway, that was a, that was a taste joke. That was weird. That was, was a weird funny. joke, friend. Yeah, it wasn't funny. I'm sorry. But, oh, Bobby has a book bit. She's pointing at it. She's tired of hearing about my children. She's- No, I
1: I was reminding you that- Hello I. hell
0: have- with Alex's kids. It's time for us to talk about Bobby's. I'm book not talking
1: bit. about my book anymore. Just we're not, we're just gonna skip book bit this episode. No book bit right now. You've done it.
0: Do, 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 do. Bobby's book bit. There you go, Bobby.
1: No, 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 no. <laughs> I think there was too many no's, but I don't even care at this point. So my book bit ties back to our topic this week. It's like it's like extra effort was made. To have a book bit and, you know, I went and just made sure this documentary happened just for this episode. That's what I'm saying. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so my book was a 2020 Oprah's Book Club book and it's cast by Isabel Wilkerson, which talks about the hidden cultural and societal rules of our class system here in the US, talks about where it came from, why it's so deeply embraced in our society and how we can dismantle it forever and finally allow people to have the equality they deserve. It's some of the stuff we just talked about while talking about dividing lines, like there's still a class system in our country to this day. And my favorite quote from the book is, the price of privilege is the moral duty to act when one sees another person treated unfairly. And the least that a person in the dominant caste can do is not to make the pain any worse. Again, what we were just talking about, we see there's still a problem and we need to do work to better it. But the very least that you can do is not to make anything worse than it already is. Now, um, I will say the lessons in this book are a little bit more higher level than they typically are. But in the book, she talks about how there are eight foundational pillars to a caste system. And so my first lesson is on those first four pillars uh, and the caste system. And they are divine will and the laws of nature. And that one is when the religious beliefs make it hard to change the way things are. Um, You know, she talks about in India and Hindu, the caste system there and how it's created the system that they still have to this day. But sometimes religions can make it hard to change the caste system that's in place. The second one, uh, the second pillar is heritability, meaning you're born into whatever caste your parents belong. It's really hard to change that, especially during your lifetime. The third one, and also, by the way, this book has really big words in it. Um, but the third one is indigami and the control of marriage and mating indigami, which means marrying within your system was strictly enforced, especially in us history. And she again, ties it back to India and the Hindus marrying within your class system is very much a part of the, the, the history we've had for a certain extent. There's a few people that have gone outside of it, but most people stay within that same system. And number four pillar is purity versus pollution, and that's when people insist on maintaining a pure bloodline, such as the Nazis. Then the second lesson that I have from the book is hierarchy, dehumanization, terror, and superiority is the second half of it. So uh, the, the fifth pillar being occupational hierarchy, Maybe you've heard people complain that someone has to do hard and menial jobs in society and early on in our society. And even to a certain extent today, some people will argue that low status jobs are meant for blacks or Latinos or people who are beneath us. Like that's still a thing. like, a still a thing we see today. I mean, like I had a conversation recently with someone about lawn care workers and they made a joke about them being Latinos. And I was like, No, like my long cruise, all, you know, like, but that's a, that's a thing that we still have in our society. The sixth one, dehumanization and stigma. Some groups dehumanize other groups in order to elevate themselves. And we saw that um, the Nazis did this with the Jewish community. America has done this to blacks over the years. Like it's, that's unfortunately a part of our history. The seventh pillar is terror as enforcement and cruelty as a means of control. Tragically, whippings, burnings, and hangings were things both Nazis and American slave owners did as a means to control their people, if you will. And I say their people in air quotes. And then finally, the eighth eighth pillar, good Lord, is inherent superiority versus inherent inferiority. There's a long list of unspoken things that dominate interactions between the higher and the lower caste. Caste inferiority was what these expectations were meant to remind everyone, which causes long-term damage in society. And then from there, the third lesson is if we want to take down the caste system, we have to support those who are trying to destroy it and we're still, we're still fighting that in the U S unfortunately, like we, we have a long embedded history and we still have a long, long way to go. And I think too many people just want to think that's the past. It's not still happening, but I think too many things are still a part of what's going on. So that's my book bit. And look at the time it is time for us to bring on. And I don't think we ever said their names. What did I say? What did I say wrong?
0: nothing i just look at the time
1: But I, mean, I did i just looked up Well, like, there was a noise and that caused me to look up and then it was like a, like an alarm like the noise hey, was
0: my fault I it's know, exactly the time
1: that and i don't think i ever said who we were having on we're but having dante,
0: on little john and gwen goins and so they're gonna come on and they're part of the dei committee dante is the chair and gwen is the vice chair
1: awesome let's go get them Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk. We are back with Dante and Gwen. Welcome. We are so excited to have you here. Um, Gwen, I want to ask you first, uh, give me a little bit of your background. How did you get involved in real estate and what um, attracted you to getting involved with the diversity committee for KCRER?
2: Well, first, I'm a mortgage banker, um, came out of college in 1985. I think it was (laughs) a long time ago, yesterday, Uh, yesterday as a, um, accounting degree. And so I always had a love of math and numbers. Um, so when I came out, the first job that I was offered was a manager of a finance company. So for, for the first 16 years of my career, I did that. And, um, one of my former bosses had, um, gotten into the wholesale real estate part. And he asked me, would I be interested? At first, after a lot of him and Han, I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I became a wholesale uh, mortgage banker or wholesale rep for 10 years or so until the industry crashed in 2008, 2009. And then I went into doing reverse mortgages for a couple of years. And then I found myself back in Indiana and got into the real retail space with um, KeyBank out of Indianapolis and ended up with Chase and just bank, to bank, to bank. And then I moved here in Kansas City in 2014 and with BMO Harris Bank and stayed with them for a little while and got back into mortgage lending on the retail side of things and haven't look back. Love it, love it, love it. And joined the diversity committee years ago. I've been on and off, on and off, um, just depending on you know what's going on in my life, and um, it's a great committee. Um, I do diversity and the outreach committee both. And I, it's just, just I love the people. It's a great way to meet people, great way to be involved in the community. And as a community lending loan officer, it's important to, to tell our story for prosperity. Yeah, That's why you
1: know, it's who I am. I love it. Welcome, Dante. We're excited to have you here. We were just keeping things going because I was being selfish. I have to jump off early, so it's my bad. Um, so <laughs> question... And I know we've talked on this when you were on last year, but for those who may did not listen to last year's episode, or maybe those who do not know you, Dante, tell us about your past, how you got into real estate and um, why you got involved with the DEI committee.
3: All right. Well, this is, uh, let's see, I'm going on my 11th year in real estate. I'm only 32, so I don't know any other career. Thank God. I don't know if I want to switch ever. Um, I've been doing this, I started in 2011, started out. When the market was down, so I feel like it was actually a lot more fun then than it is now. (laughs) Um, Let's see, I I grew up, so I have grandparents who are in the real estate um, industry. Uh, Originally got into real estate because I originally went to school to be an attorney and then realized that, you know, I didn't want to be in a courtroom every day wearing suits, and so no one ever expressed, you know, that most real estate attorneys aren't in the courtroom. They're actually on boats or on the beach. And, you know, they have a little different life being a real estate attorney. So didn't pay attention to that part. So I ended up getting a real estate license. Um, Well, actually, before that, I started out as a wholesaler. So that was my, I was the black sheep of the family. I vowed to never get a real estate license, actually. Went to school for communications and marketing and met a guy while I was in school who so, no. So you should get a, you know, come into real estate, do wholesaling. OK, whatever that is, I got a check. So I was like, great. There was money there. Bro college student. Happy to have a check. I uh, ended up doing that and then got a real estate license because he actually talked me into it. Didn't tell the family and kind of just appeared in the MLS one day. And my grandfather found out. There was a story right there he was not happy with. <laughs> So, yeah, I joined a diversity committee. I believe this is my fourth
0: year,
3: now. Um, really wanted to be involved in, in something other than, you know, the other things that were just in the office. That was what I started with, um, KW. And so really just wanted to grow and meet new people. I joined a lot of committees, but the diversity and the grievance committee were the two that I've stuck with over the years, um, mainly because they were the groups that, I saw actually moving the ball down the court and doing things each year. And so it made it easier to keep coming back.
0: I think that's a great place to start when we're talking about the diversity, equity and inclusion committee. I want people to be aware of everything that you guys are doing. So can you talk to us a little bit about um, what's on the docket for this year? Where where have we taken things here in the last couple of years? Um, to improve things in the Kansas city area, pushing that ball down
3: the court, like you were saying. Um, I see Gwen just looks, she's like, yep, yeah, that's all you. Um, so over the last few years, I mean, we we've started moving into the direction of getting out into the community more. I know we've did a neighborhood cleanup. Um, last year with Ernest Hawkins as our chair, we were really involved with our veterans community. And so this year, we just want to grow and expand onto those things. So we're going to be continuing to work with the veterans this year um, and really looking at more educational things mm-hmm. this year for the community. Um, you know, we, we have everyone, we're all agents for the most part. And, you know, our thing is getting in front of people and getting them the information that is necessary. And so really putting on things of our own that actually are open to everyone within so we can educate, inform, and help continue for the movement of you know, really growing as a community.
1: Speaking of education, and when we talked about this before you came on, is that um, April is Fair Housing Month. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm saddened that we have to have a Fair Housing Month, that we still have to like yeah. say that, that that's a, a thing, but it, it is still a thing. Why do you think that it's still so that we still have to have this conversation? Why, and how can we help be better as real estate professionals where the help is needed the most? Because it's not just enough to say it's fair housing month. I support it. There need to be actual actions and steps we can take. So as real estate professionals, what can we be doing?
2: I'll start. And then Dante, <laughs> you can peggy back on that. You know, and I'm going to, a- more of a lending perspective, but also I deal with realtors every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think some of the inherent biases that we don't even understand that or know that we are being a little biased, um, those fair housing month and weeks or what have you kind of helps us to remember and look at those things and say, hmm, you know, I've, I've, thought that or i've done that or you know in the lending perspective when when someone walks in my office don't just arbitrarily assume that they're an fha buyer because they have mm-hmm. a darker skin tone um, don't just always assume that you know they're going to be a lot of work um, because they're not you know the same race that you are or what have you and i think that on the lending perspective but also in the housing um in you know when If you're talking to a, a buyer or a seller and a seller makes comments that you feel are off base, being able to tell them right then and there, this is not what we do. And, and not just always, you know, it's not always about the dollar per se. You know, you may lose that client because you feel a certain way. But until we start doing that,
0: we're going to continue to have to have a fair housing Gwen, one of the things that's really uh, been in the limelight recently are appraisals. And so with you being in the in the lending part of our industry, do you want to speak just a little bit to um, appraisers and um, some of the things that you've been seeing going on with that? Well, I know there was a, a
2: huge report recently by the Brookings Institute mm-hmm. that literally showed where people of color have lost Billions. I mean, I'm not talking about little piddly dollars, billions of dollars in equity when they went to sell their homes, um, as well as when they went to refinance their homes because appraisers were appraising their homes for less than what they would. Um, and they actually went in and had people, uh, couples who did appraisals and then left the house and got a second appraiser and made their house less ethnic so to speak and their values were increased drastically and those kind of things we have to get we have to get out of that mindset Um, if, if I'm buying a house I want the same or selling a house I want that same opportunity to sell to everybody at the same price not because of who because I'm a person of color Mm-hmm. that my house should be worth any less than mm-hmm. the person who is my neighbor. And that's something that uh, we really, I mean, literally, I mean, there's billions of dollars that they can prove that people of color have lost or lost out on because of that. And I know uh, appraisers are always like, no, not me, not me, not me. Um, but I had situations myself recently where it happened so it's not and and it's not and I don't and again I don't think the appraiser mentally or they're they're not saying they're bad people they're not bad people they're not they're not intentionally it's just something that's inherent there's some inherent biases that people carry with them um and it's I I don't know how to make it go away is
0: it's the correction and education. There's no doubt about that. But absolutely. But
1: yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Well, and, and before you guys came on, we were talking about some of the trainings that NAR offers, and one of them mm-hmm. is the implicit bias training.
3: Mm-hmm. And I
1: think that for most people, that can be the that and the Long Island documentary expose. Those mm-hmm. two things can quite simply be the most eye opening thing that there is. And if we go back to the the Long Island documentary, I was actually having this conversation with someone the other day, the part with the Long Island expose that was the most eye-opening to me was when they brought in um, the people being tested, people of color often didn't even realize that they had been discriminated against because that's just been your experience for so much of your life. And for someone who comes from a place of privilege, I sometimes just like, And then I have conversations with people of privilege who say, but that's not been my experience. I've never Mm -hmm. seen that. So Mm -hmm. therefore it can't happen. And -hmm. quite frankly, that is one of the most frustrating conversations that I have with people. Mm -hmm. How can we bash these people (laughs) in the head or what can we do to help people understand that the experiences you have are not inclusive of everyone's experiences. And we need to just open our hearts and our minds that someone else may have had Really crappy life experiences, and we need to help each other out.
2: Prayer? No, I'm just
1: kidding. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I bless a lot of people. Like, oh, bless you. Like, I don't know what else to do. Like, <laughs> Dante, I'm gonna let you uh, take that one.
3: You know, it's it's hard to even try to figure out where to start with them.
2: Mm-hmm. To be honest,
3: because my experiences are, of course, different than everyone else on this screen. For instance. I grew up, I have a lot of friends who are police officers, so I've never had a truly bad experience. Doesn't mean I don't understand the experience of what people have dealt with, it just hasn't been my experience. Now, my experience as a real estate professional in this industry is going to be way different than yours or Alex, because Mm -hmm. for instance, when I go to show a house, if I go to show a house and the agent is already in the home, there's another agent ahead of me. If they see that I'm waiting, because I'm a polite agent, I like to wait, let you show the house to your client. They will walk by if the door is open, they will walk by and close the door and lock it while they're inside. Or when they come out of the house, it's that some of them, you know, I used to see people, I would see him hand, them, hand off the key to the next agent. When they see me, they'll close the door, lock it, put the key back in the lockbox. And I mean, that's just my experience. I, I've come to it, understand it. I know what it is. I know what it's about. I, I've had the police call on me before because I was showing the home. Mm-hmm. I got to the house before my client did and went in through the front door with the lockbox. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but it's hard to even try to get others to understand that we're still just normal people. You will be amazed, since I've become the chair for the diversity committee, how many people have, have reached out to me and, and will ask, well, how can I help more minorities? Mm-hmm. As if we're some type of foreign figure that is just so hard to reach out to.
1: Right.
3: Like I, I don't get it. <laughs> it's We're no different than the, the next. It's just we're human. At the end of the day, if any of us get cut, we bleed red. We all have to go to the doctor. We all get sick. We're just human. And I don't know how to even get people to understand that we're no special case. Like we're still, we're just, if you want to sell me a house, just say you want to sell me a house. If you want to be my agent the same way that you reach out to your Oakland Park or your Leewood or your Lee Summit people, I lived in Lee (laughs) Summit. It
2: works the same way. It works the same way. But that that's, again, going back to where I say, I don't know if the thought is even there that those are the actions that they're doing and, and what effect that has. Um, you know, after the um, George, George Floyd um, situation with all the marching down on the plaza, uh, I had a really detailed long call with one of the agents in my office that uh, works for the Reese Nichols office there on the plaza she called me and she was just like, so apologetic. And I was like, well, what are you apologetic for? Uh, And she, we, we had a really long, and, and I think that's, we had a very, very long talk and a very detailed talk. And at the end of the day, I think we both came back with, you know, it's a lot of times it's not intentional, but we've got to learn to do better. We've got, we've got to let that history of you know the biases and all that stuff even though it's been 400 years since slavery there's still a lot of slave mentality going on especially here in Kansas City unfortunately I mean coming from someone who's comes from outside the city uh Kansas City uh I grew up in well I didn't grow up but before I came here I was 25 years in Lansing Michigan I raised my kids there and Every neighborhood that we lived in was mixed community. There wasn't just one Black family. There was every other house was a Black family or a multiracial family. So my kids grew up not really seeing color because we all, it was just one big melting pot. Um, But then fast forward to move to Kansas City, every neighborhood is either pretty much all black or pretty much all mm. white um, when i first moved here i would go to or, uh, organizations and events i was either the only black or i was one of every black so it was just like i was like when when did white <laughs> when when did the the segregation ever happen here or it's obviously that that it never really did so we get along the, we go along the get along but we never really became equals, yeah. so to speak.
0: Well, that's one of the things that we talk about a lot with the uh, uh, with the Kansas City uh, Dividing Lines Tour. And I know you guys have heard us talk about that before. Yes. But, uh, we were talking about it before you came on as well. I mean, the, just the, the history there that people don't know and don't understand and, and how it's still impacting uh, families today. You bring something up, both of you did. Uh, where, and I'm I'm gonna be careful about the way that I say this. I, I think that people mean like like you were saying, Gwen. I think people mean well. They don't know some. that there some people mean well. <laughs> yes. They don't know oh. that the actions that they're doing are are hurting you, mm-hmm. and yet are hurting people, and, and yet they, they do them anyway because it's just not there. They don't, they don't understand it yet. And gosh, I hope that one day they do. Um, And those same people very well may be participating in some performative actions that indicate that they, you know, are trying to understand and are working towards some of these things. And I I think that this is something that I struggle with sometimes, and, and I get in my own head about it, and it's my own fault but I, I struggle with determining what is a performative action and what is, is uh, causing change, what is, what is helping. And um, I think that it's really easy, especially, and honestly, I think it's especially true in our industry. It's really easy for us to do the performative things, but not address the actual problems that we've experienced in, the, in, in our community for the last hundred years. I think it's really, really difficult. Um, so w- one of those things, and, and it I don't know, can you help us determine what's performative and what, what, what is actually pushing change? I mean, I, that's, that's one of the biggest difficulties I feel like we have. And, and I feel that we need the diversity, equity, and inclusion committees help sometimes because sometimes we get it in our heads that we need to do something. And I don't know if it's helpful or not. And it's it's difficult, and I hate to put all of that on on you guys, but but it, we need it. We need the guidance.
2: Well, I think the one thing where most people say, you know, they should be over it now, or or you know, uh, we did this one event or we did this one thing mm-hmm. that should have made a difference, or or that should have that one event or that one act should have shown them. That we're not like that, mm-hmm. you know. This this thing took years and years and years and years, hundreds of years, to put us where we are, and the little token one time a year
0: fair housing month right. is
2: not going to make everything all
0: right. Yeah, which I um, would I would hate to say it, but when I'm talking about performative actions, I am sort of thinking of. Fair Housing Month a little bit, <laughs> I hate to say it, but uh, but I, I mean, I think that's great that we're bringing awareness, but when we say Fair Housing Month is in April, it's like Black History Month is in February, you know? Why, why For sure. This, this isn't a, <laughs> I don't understand the one month out of the year
3: thing. I it's really, crazy. I really feel like, you know, if you're going to do these type of events and actions, if you're coming from a genuine place, then that's one thing. But when you're just being a reactionary to the things that have happened and now you are kind of doing it out of guilt or you're trying to do it so it can, you're looking at it from a crisis management aspect where, okay, we have this diversity and inclusion committee now in our office, that should stop what we're doing. And now let's run and grab all the black people and put them on the committee That doesn't fix anything. First off, it's diversity. It should not be all black people. Right. It it shouldn't. You know, I I've had the privilege now of really sitting back and going to different offices. I was with a particular company for a long time and we never had one of these committees. And now all of a sudden. Every office of theirs has one. And well,
2: Dante, don't you think, though, that a lot of that is because it's it's market driven? Absolutely. In, in the sense that now, you know, with rates for two and three and percent interest rates and everybody in their mom bought a house in the last couple of years. Now, this rates started inching up. Now they got to find a new market, got to find a new market. So who is left? Yep. People of color. So we we have to be able to. Engage with people of color. We have to be able to to survive. So that is why a lot of the companies have all of a sudden found an interest in diversity. Is it, it? I mean, we have to be real, um, but we also people of color have to take advantage of this of this yeah. newfound interest in diversity and 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 marketing to diverse. Segments of the population. Um, And and I'm not just talking about race, I'm talking uh, the LBGTQ community. I'm talking, you know, everybody who has ever been marginalized. Um, We're now those people who are going to economically impact everybody. So everybody has to learn now how to engage and how to work with people that they are not used to working with because otherwise their income and their pocketbook is gonna be adversely affected.
3: Yeah, especially now that Kansas City is going through a huge gentrification. You know, now I'm seeing agents who would have never once passed Bannister on 71 mm-hmm. or even cross state lines and come into the Missouri side are now listing houses in what they used to call the hood. Now you're seeing their leewood and, and what is really getting me is the fact that you've created a new yard sign. So you have a different yard sign for when you're listing in Leewood versus when you put a sign yeah. in you know yeah. Kansas City. they are doing urban
0: core yeah. marketing. That's Wait, yeah. wow. You still no, that's giving a, that's a
3: shtick it's a thing. Yeah, now you're putting your luxury hanging sign in your yards that are nicer. But just a couple of years ago, the same sign that you're putting in the city was the same sign that you will put outside of your 1.2, 1.3 million dollar houses along Ward Parkway and Leewood and Overland Park and Lee Summit. Wow. And now we're wanting to see. Oh well, how can we help those people? People. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about us, about Black people. We all ran to the South. We went to the suburbs years ago and we left our houses in the city because we had better schools, better housing. We had more grocery stores, everything South of 71. Mm -hmm. Everyone left the Kansas City School District and do we all know why we have charter schools. Charter schools were created because the school district barely had accreditation. That's the only way you can get a charter school in your area, right? And so what happened <laughs> is everyone ran to the better schools for you. For, so you put your child in a better school. So we finally, we able to make it to the suburbs. And what we did was we left all the houses in the city vacant or we rented them out. And now all the investors have come through and we're selling houses on 29th and Olive Two hundred thousand, whereas years ago when I was a new agent, I was selling those houses for seventy five hundred, and it, it's it's frustrating because it should never be um, a situation where uh, us versus them. Or now, how can I go help them when just help everyone? Yes, that's all yes. it is. All we're asking is for everyone to just be. Level the, the playing field. You no, know, when you see us at Walmart, Walmart is open for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure hey,
2: sure hate it, Dante. <laughs> not a
3: special Walmart. Now I don't go to Walmart because I hate <laughs> going into the stores. So I'm gonna order online and let you put it in the car. But still, <laughs> you know, I I just wish that everyone would just if I wish we were all just one color. I don't, we should all just be blue. Because then at that point, we couldn't say you're black, you're white, you're this, you're that. You're you're blue. Mm -hmm. Just be much easier. But unfortunately, that's not the world that we live in. And so, you know, the Dividing Lines tour was a huge help last year. I feel like it really did open people's eyes about what we were dealing with. Because I I did a podcast last year, which you and didn't have the privilege of. I went back through that tour. But it, it astounds me now that you are seeing brokerages all of a sudden want to rent a bus and go on the tour
0: mm-hmm.
3: because now they put a diversity committee in their office. Yep. Like this isn't worlds of Fun, we're not just doing this. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's so, the thing. We do so, it's, it's disrespectful to turn it into some kind of a. Yes. Yeah, it becomes a, a disrespectful thing at, at a certain point. You no, know, that was the put together. Is an attraction. It's
3: ridiculous. Yeah, it was yeah. put together beautifully, so yeah. it could educate people. And privately,
0: so, so it's a one, so that you're it's you're doing it in your car. It's not yes. supposed to be like a, yeah.
3: And so <laughs> you know, it was it was done beautifully. Now, if these were schools using it as the educational piece, and want to do it in the masses like mm-hmm. that. It'd be great. Yeah. You know, that should go along with your history class because we all understand that now the history of us of the slavery time has been put down into Martin Luther King and Rosa Park. And then I think they finally added in Barack Obama. That's all we get in history. <laughs> classes. Now. Well,
0: I've got it. So, you guys, a DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, is a KCRAR committee, and mm-hmm. and it's not an HMLS committee. But HMLS, when you look at MLS, and so you look at multiple listing service, and so you look at the way that um, our industry operates, um, it is such a critical part. I feel like of making sure. Uh, I think that a lot of fair housing violations can happen within the MLS. I'll, I'll start there uh, and, and we try to keep an eye on it, but it's, it, it, sometimes things are just said that shouldn't be said. And uh, I think we have this fear, even on something like that, we have this fear of turning people in when they make a boo-boo like that and they don't understand that they did. It might be a, an honest accident um, but I, I, I think that things go unnoticed. I think that our staff does a good job of trying to monitor that, but it still goes unnoticed. Um, so I, I just want to say that if you do encounter something like that, do report it to staff. Make sure that those kinds of things, well, you got to protect our industry and you got to protect the people that are searching for homes more than anybody else. I mean, that, that's number one. But number two, there's an MLS thing that's been sweeping the nation that I think uh, our committees are both going to be talking about. And that's changing uh, from master bedroom to primary bedroom. And um, I, it, like I say, there will be plenty of committee discussion about those. Tomorrow,
3: tomorrow. at tomorrow. one o'clock. There you
0: go. So you've got, a committee, <laughs> you've got a committee discussion about it tomorrow. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, okay. that's on
3: our agenda for tomorrow.
0: And so maybe we don't want to talk too much about that. I want to let you, let the committee, you know, make a decision, but. Um, I'm curious about your gut reaction to to something like that, and if that's something that does move us forward.
2: Oh, to me, course. real quick, I'm, I'm I'm not a. I mean, to me, changing the word from master because me and my husband, boyfriend, whatever, we're, we're the master of this house. Right. <laughs> so 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 that. Something changing from that—that's not that—that that to me is not an issue. That I mean, that's that's the formative
0: measure in your mind.
2: <laughs> I am the master of my home. I mean, yeah. I'm, everything in my house belongs to me. I'm the master of all of it. But I mean, there's so many other things that could be changed other right? than that. But I'm gonna let yeah. I'm gonna let Dante answer this one.
3: You know, I'm glad at least they're using primary now. I think at one point um, they were wanting to, uh, We I talked about them switching it from master to owner. I went, that doesn't make it any better if you're trying to steer clear from right. that owner, master. And me personally, I think that we have so many other things that we can focus on versus changing. You know, this is the call it main bathroom, main bedroom, whatever. But, you know, that part doesn't bother me as much as when you're out showing houses and you see a certain flag still hanging in the house or outside. And it's yeah. like, We care about what we call where people sleep, but we're not going to address the fact that the agent didn't tell them they should probably take this down. That's right. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, the master bedroom, primary bedroom, I mean, we know what it is. Like Gwen said, like I'm the master, I'm the ruler of this. Yeah, <laughs> that's what <laughs> I like, So I mean, that doesn't really, you know, bother me. I mean, you know, I'm sure we are in a society now where people are a little bit more sensitive. Who did so you I ask? Who
2: did NAR ask? Well,
0: see that's about the, changing that.
3: Yeah, there, that's Why the million that? dollar question.
0: Who whose idea was this? Whose it was, idea was? I don't it? think it was. Yeah, yeah I, yeah. I it seemed like an interesting thing to do at the time, and it seemed like it was in line with current events. I don't know.
3: That's uh, where but, we look at it, it. Someone was feeling guilty, and that's what <laughs> they came up with.
0: You say that, but I think that that's, and Gwen's laughing, but I think that's right. I mean, I think that's true. So, so to, and I know that this is going over at this point and it, it always does with this, when we, when we have this episode for eight. I thought this was an hour I was ready to go, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I've got to, so Gwen, you say that there are other things in MLS and Dante, you said there are other things in MLS that we could be addressing. Um. Wh- on the MLS side of things, we talked about some things we do at KCRIR. On the MLS side of things, is there anything that sticks out to you guys that that
3: we should be addressing? No, I mean, really and truthfully, what, and it, it may be that I've seen so much of it. I mean, people are really doing a better job of giving the explanations or descriptions of the home. Um, nothing that, you know, I haven't seen anyone, you know, Step on any fair housing guidelines like a perfect home for a single mother. I haven't seen anything, you know, like that or anything, or perfect house if you don't have kids. Um, but
0: across the street. (laughs) Yeah, you
3: know. (laughs) Nice Baptist church right across the street, walking (laughs) distance. I haven't seen any of that. I mean, really, I think our MLS has been doing a really good job at policing, you know, what we used to deal with, you know, I still hate the fact that people only put one picture in there when we have opened up so many slots because that was a fight a long time ago to get more slots for pictures. And now you put four and they're all outside. Um, yeah. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, I think we're doing a really good job. Our association happens to do a really good job at monitoring a lot. And so I, I you know, if we could change the website a little bit, or I can just click and go straight to the MLS. But other than that, I'm happy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Gwen? Anything you probably, well, you with what you do, you probably don't use the MLS every day. Absolutely, I don't. I don't use it at all. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, guys, this has been a great conversation. And we always have a uh, final question that Bobby asks. Is there anything that we should have asked that we didn't ask?
3: You know, I mean, this is the kind of conversation. Honestly, that could go for hours. Yeah. You no, know, there's there's always something to talk about. I think what we've talked about today kind of was like a, a nice little step in the right direction. I'm really touching base on you know the, the diversity of what's happening with the city, how you know agents are trying, and I can at least say you know even though they're trying to do it for some of them, their own capital gain. At least they're trying to get a better understanding of how to work with minorities.
1: You know, I don't want to
3: fault them for thinking that minorities are some special case, but at least they're asking the question of how to interact better. So, I mean, I can at least accept that.
2: And honestly, just, I mean, if, if nothing else, just talk to people, just talk to people as people, not. I'm talking to her as a, a black woman or a, an, a, a gay man or a whatever, talk, talk to people as people um, and, and get to know people for them, not from something you've heard or thought you knew about someone, get to know people for people. Um, and you'll find that we all have a lot of commonality and we all have a lot of differences, but somewhere in the middle, Um, And at the end of the day, God made us all and for a purpose and for a reason. And each of us are here for that reason and that purpose. And all of us are the same at
0: the end of the day. Well, I love it. I appreciate you guys. And thank you so much for taking your time to to be with us today. And uh, maybe we can continue this conversation sometime when it's not April. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) April. You know, we could we keep on having it. It's kind of like
2: Mother's Day. I tell my kids <laughs> every day is Mother's
0: Day.
3: Exactly. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is.